Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its walls, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the city of the street was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Pray with me. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to work within us, that you would open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts to the glory that awaits us. Father, we come to you because this world is very discouraging. The trials and the tribulations we face tend to weigh us down like an anchor holds a boat. So we ask you, Father, to lift our gaze upward that we may be free of the anchors that would hold us in place and that we may move forward sailing into your kingdom. Grant us this grace, we pray, in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. In 1952, a lady by the name of Florence Chadwick slid into the chilly waters of the Pacific off of Catalina Island. Her goal was to make the 21-mile swim from the coast of Catalina to the California coast that lay ahead. As she started her swim, it was difficult. The waters were choppy, 
hard. They were chilly, cold. And on top of that, there was risk of shark attack in the waters in which she swam. But those things were not what caused her to give up. She could handle the water. She could handle the fear of the shark attacks. But what she could not handle was the cloud bank of fog that rolled in and hid from her vision the coastline in the distance. When she gave the signal to be pulled out of the water, she said, I simply couldn't go on. I could not see where I was headed. Two months later, she got back into the water off the coast of Catalina. The day she began her second attempt was an identical twin of the first day. The waters were choppy. There was risk of shark attack. Fog rolled in once again. But this time, she completed the 21-mile swim. When asked what made the difference, she said it was this. She said, the first time I let the fog obscure my vision of what lay ahead. But this time, when the fog rolled in, I kept in my mind the coast that was ahead of me. I would like to use her imagery as a challenge for us, a paradigm for how we are to live in this world. For there is no doubt the fog banks will roll in in our life. We will face discouragement. We will face trials. And we will face temptation. The book of Revelation is written to the body of believers to encourage the body of believers to encourage us not to give in to discouragement when the tide of this world begins to pull us away from the golden coast that God has provided. The book of Revelation has been given to us as a warning to say not to get lulled into the fog of pleasure that would take us away from pursuing Christ with all of our heart. And it's written to us to persevere. In the book of Job, chapter 5, Job says, Man is born for trouble just as sparks fly upward. Can I get a witness? Now, I'm not being pessimistic. The reality of the world in which we live is that it has fallen. But my prayer is that in looking at what is revealed in the text, we will face the reality of this world without becoming pessimistic. Throughout the New Testament, there is a triumvirate of virtues that are placed before every believer. Faith, hope, and love. We are to face the challenges of this world with a faith in God, a love for one another, and a hope in His promises. And all of those things coalesce, I believe, in this glimpse of glory that will enable us to face the future, to face today with faith, hope, and love. Now when I speak of glory, I want to be clear in what I'm speaking of. The word glory in the scripture is a word that is heavy with meaning. Literally, the word in the Hebrew, kebab, means heaviness. The word doxe in the Greek carries with it the same meaning. When we speak of the glory of God, you can literally say, we're speaking. We're speaking of the heaviness of who God is. So when everyone, anyone looks at you and says, believer, you may need to lose a little weight, you say, no, I'm just heavy with God's glory. All right? That's kind of the idea. The weightiness of who God is. The weightiness of His character. The glory of His power. The glory of God's presence manifests in such a, a powerful way that you cannot even stand in the presence of His majesty. All of those things coalesce in that one word, the glory of God. And I really believe that it is His glory, the manifestation of His presence, the weightiness of His being 
for which you and I were made to long for. I believe that every desire we have to see true beauty is simply a desire for the glory of God in which beauty itself is defined. I believe that every longing we have for love, to know and to be known, is a longing for the glory of God. Every desire you and I have for joy and laughter is a longing for the fullness of the glory of God. And it is that glory that is revealed in this passage. These verses are not just about heaven. These verses are about the glory of God. For heaven is the manifestation of the fullness of God's glory. And the manifestation and the fullness of God's glory is heaven. It is the glory of God that defines heaven and makes heaven bliss. And this verse, these verses bring to coalition or to, to completion the idea of where Revelation has been taking us. You can see this because the number 12 is repeated 10 times in these passages. Now the reason that is significant is this. 12 carries with it the idea of completion, of fullness. 12 is a way of saying it's done, it's finished. This is the totality of the plan. Notice where 12 is used. Look in verse 12. Interestingly enough, the high wall has 12 gates with 12 angels with the names of the 12 tribes inscribed. Look to verse 14. The wall of the city has 12 foundations. On them are 12 names of the 12 apostles. Look to verse 21. With the 12 gates, there are 12 pearls. And even in the measurements of the city, we see factors of 12 in verse 16. The 12 stadia in which the city is measured. And the wall itself, 144 cubits, 12 by 12. 12 continually pops up to say this vision of God's glory is the completion of that which we have been longing for and that which we are pressing on for in this world and the interesting thing is this the glory of God in heaven is revealed in the glory his glory fully manifest in his people verses 9 through 23 I think focuses upon this in this description of heaven there is this mixture of images there is an angel that comes to John and he says, I want to show you. And notice it says clearly in verse 9, the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then John is taken to this high mountain where he sees a city coming down from heaven from God. The city of the new Jerusalem. So we see this bride, the Lamb, is, the wife of the Lamb, is a city. But it's also telling us something more. That this city is more than just a city. This city is the bride of Christ, which is the church. The city is defined by the church that dwells in it in the completed fullness of God's glory. Now the reason I believe this is because earlier in chapter 19 verse 7, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, the wife of the Lamb. Nowhere in the New Testament is God said to marry a city. Also, notice in verse 9, there is no like or as that would signal a simile saying this city is like the bride of Christ. Furthermore, as you read through the New Testament, you see that the church is not just compared to a bride. The church is likened to a household, a city with foundations. Up on the screen in Ephesians chapter 2, you read these words. Nathan read them earlier. We are the saints, the members of the household of God. 
fellow citizens. Citizens dwell in a city. So you have coming into this imagery of the church, the idea of a city. The city, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure is joined together, growing into a holy temple. Now, verse 21, file that away. The church is growing into a holy temple of the Lord. Verse 22, in Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. File that away. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. The point I want you to see now is that the description of the church is a description of citizenship, a description of a building being built, a temple, and a structure. I believe that New Jerusalem is this interconnection of people and city, an interweaving of polis and people where one defines the other. Now, we we think like that today. The idea of a city and the people being combined. I've only been to New York City one time. Now, I do hope to go back. It was an amazing experience, to say the least. New York and New Yorkers are unique people. Now, I would try to do a New York accent, but there may be people from New York that would say, not even close, okay? What makes a New Yorker a New Yorker? Does the city make the people? Or do the people make the city? Which is it? There's an interweaving of the two. Well, you can't have one without the other. So it is with this new Jerusalem that comes down. It is the people, the church, dwelling within it that gives the glory to it that creates a place. Now, but lest I be misunderstood, I do believe this is describing a real place. But I want us to see that the glory of this place we call heaven is the glory of God manifest through His completed work within the church. And that is the glory of the church, that it is completed by God. Notice the description in verse 10. The holy city Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God. When it says it comes down, it shows that the origin of the people of God is God Himself. This is echoing what Philippians 1 6 says that He who began a good work in you. Church, who began? Us. Who began the church? Is it not God Himself by His power and His grace? But first, or Philippians 1 6 goes on to say, and He will complete it. He will see it through to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. It is God who began our work. It is God who is seeing us through. And it is God who will complete it. And that completion is revealed here as the city comes down. We should not be shocked to hear of the saints coming with Christ. This one again is simply an affirmation the reality of what Paul wrote about in Colossians 3 3 through 4 up on the screen you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God we've died to self we've died to the things of this world our life is in Christ so that in verse 4 when Christ who is your life I've died it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives within me but when Christ appears then you also will appear with him in glory. I believe this is once again is the manifest reality of what Paul is writing about here. We are in him. We are with him. We are being completed by him and that reality is described. For example, look down to verses 16 and 17. The city, the people are described by saying they are measured as 12,000 stadia, 12 or a 1200 times 10. 
12,000. The wall, 144 cubits. This is giving a picture of the fullness of God's people. And the fullness is a connection between the Old and the New Testament. Notice in verse 12, it describes this wall. The wall has 12 gates, three on each side. But notice that the gates are inscribed by the names of the sons of Israel. And then you move to verse 14. The city has 12 foundations. What's written on the foundations? The 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. We see Old Testament with Israel with the New Testament based upon the foundation of the apostles. Once again, this is simply showing the reality of what's recorded earlier in the New Testament. Once again, I draw your attention to Ephesians 2, 19 through 21. Look what it says. This citizenship, the members of the household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So what we see here is a unified people of God saved by grace through faith, Old and New Testament, there are not two Gospels. There is no one in heaven who will say, I worked my way here by keeping the covenant. There is no one who will say, I earned my way here because I was good enough and kind enough to people. Every person who is dwelling within the New Jerusalem will have the same testimony. We are here by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So that as we worship with Daniel and David and Paul and Timothy, we will bear the same song in Zion saying, and glory to the Lamb. As we worship with Jonah and Job and John and James, we will say glory to the Lamb. As we worship with Deborah and Ruth and Mary and Martha, we will say glory to the Lamb because it is He and His worth that has brought us here today. That's the glory of God shown. And notice this is clearly His work. Where does it come out of heaven? Where is our reality found? From God. Never overlook the value of the originator. The extreme value of saying we are God's handiwork. Suppose you were out and you were cleaning up Aunt Martha's attic. She has decided to have a yard sale and she's gotten your help and so is the beautiful nephew or niece. You go over and you're looking through the attic and you find this painting up there. It's dusty. You blow the dust off and man, you look at it and you think that's a nice painting. You know, I bet we could sell that for $5. And if somebody presses, we'll give them $2.50. As you keep cleaning it up and moving the dust, you notice down at the bottom there's a, a little signature. V-A-N-G-O-G-H. Van Gogh. <laughs> Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Van Gogh. Now let me ask you a question. You have just discovered a Van Gogh painting in Aunt Martha's attic. Lord, let it happen. All right? Are you still going to sell that for $5 at the garage sale? Please say no. Why not? Just a moment ago, it was worth $5. What made the difference? Is the difference not who made it? Is the difference of the church not in our own worth, but in the fact that we are God's creation? See, that's what the world does not see. The world looks at the church as troublemakers now because we hold to the absolute truth of God's Word. Because in a world of hate, we hold out the true hope for love. In a world that is divided, we hold out the true hope for unity. And the world cannot look at that and they say the church is trouble where we look and need to see the church is the handiwork of God created to show His manifold wisdom throughout all of creation and that comes to completion here at the latter part of Revelation. The church is his beautiful bride adorned by God himself. 
the church is the masterpiece painted by the blood of the Lamb. We are God's elect, chosen by Him before the creation of the world. And we get a glimpse of that glory of the church. And it becomes clear that we are glorious because we share the glory of God. The glory here manifest through the church filling the new Jerusalem is simply God's glory. Everything goes back to Him. We are nothing without Him. Everything goes back to God. Notice in verse 11, this city has the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Jewels are an intricate part of the description here. You can read the list for yourself again in verses 18 through 21 that jewels are set in the foundations of the city. But I would draw your attention to one thing now. Later we'll get to another thing regarding the jewels. But notice that Jasper is mentioned twice. Verse 11, the radiance of the city, the radiance of the people there, the radiance of the bride is like a Jasper, clear as crystal. Look down to verse 19. The first jewel described is Jasper. Now the question is, what's the point of that? Why that connection? I would submit to you, it's because the very presence of God is described in the same way. Up on the screen, you'll see Revelation 4, 2 through 3. Revelation 4 is the first description of the throne of God given to us in the book of Revelation. Notice, John says, I was in the Spirit. Behold, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne. And he who sat on the throne had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. The one on the throne had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. It's very interesting to me that God's presence is described as being like a Jasper. And when it comes to describing the people of God in the Jerusalem, the city of God, the first thing that is mentioned is we radiate. We radiate the presence and the glory of God. And that's because at this point we are in the fullness of God. Right now, we are to grow in the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 upon the screen points to this. I'm sorry, skip to the next one. I'll come back to that. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are growing in glory. It is starting now, but it is completed. Now our struggle is this. We know that the power of sin has been broken. It no longer has sway over us. We know that the, the penalty of sin has been destroyed, death taken away of, but the presence of sin is still with us, so we do not enjoy fully the presence of God. However, at this moment, the glory from glory to glory reaches its culmination because we are in the presence of God with no more sin. So that now the fullness of God's glory is manifest through His people. And I want you to think of it like this. And I want to paint a picture in your mind so that as you, we enter into seasons where there are fairs and carnivals, you'll keep this in mind. You know one of the little things that you can pay $5 for at a fair is one of those little glow sticks. You can tape them around your neck. You can make balls. You can make pterodactyls. But you take those glow sticks. You know what the secret to those things are? Yes, there's a chemical inside of them. But did you know that when you get those home, if you hold them next to a light, they will absorb the light and continue to grow? That's the idea of glory of God in us. It's not a, a glory that comes out of us. It is by being in the presence of God, we radiate His glory. And now we are fully in His presence as described in Revelation 21 so that we show His glory. And that glory is described by the beauty of jewels. Now, I'm, I'm playing with Elton up there. Now let's go back to the Isaiah passage. 
Why are the jewels here? They're, they just show the glory of God and the fulfillment of his promises. In Isaiah 54, written approximately 800 years before Jesus came, he says this, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted. You know who the afflicted one is? The people of God. You're tossed here and there. And God gives this promise. He says, Behold, I will set your stones in antimony. Now, antimony, antimony is like concrete. It's something you would set a stone in for it not to be moved. Every now and then with my wife's wedding ring, her, her diamond, I say diamond, that's being very generous, one of the settings will break. And there's fear that the, the stone may come out. So you get it fixed, so it'll stay. Antinomy is what holds a stone in place. Look what God says. I'm going to set your stones in concrete. It's a way of saying, you won't be storm-tossed anymore. I'm going to lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of agate, your gates of carbuncles, and all your walls of precious stones. That description is saying, I'm going to take what seems to be ugly now, and I'm going to make it beautiful. I'm going to take your storm-tossed life and I'm going to put it in a setting where you do not have to be afraid. And he uses the language of precious jewels to communicate that. That's what he's describing here, people. He's saying, you will be beautiful showing the glory of God in a beauty that is not just admired, but experienced. The glory of God that is not just here for a moment and gone. It will continue growing in intensity forever and ever and ever. And part of that glory is this. We will be free from fear. Completely free. Now, one of the curious things about this description is found in verses 12 and 17. This great city has a great high wall. And it's a huge wall. It measures 144 cubits. The question is this. Why does the city of New Jerusalem have to have a wall? Evil's gone. Satan's in hell. Sickness, death, sin. There are no more enemies of God. I think the point of the wall is this. It's not that there's anything that will be a threat, but it's to communicate to us that we will be absolutely 100% secure and free from the fears and worries that plague us here. This wall is measured, meaning it is overseen by God. God knows every inch of it, and we never have to fear again for worry of what will be, of worry of what might happen. To the people that were suffering that first read this, wondering if the knock at the door might mean they will be arrested, he says, there's no more fear of that. To a people who have had all their possessions confiscated, he says, this is security. To the people who have felt the tide of culture turn against them, he says, you'll never be swept away. You never have to fear that. Because the glory of God now dwells with you completely. Verses 16 through 22 emphasize this. The glory of the city is the glory of God fully manifest through his people. In verse 16, this city is described as a cube. Its length, its width, and its height are equal. It's curious architecture until you realize something very important. There is only one other structure in the Bible designed as a cube. And that is the Holy of Holies where God dwelt fully. He is saying that God's presence dwells fully with his people. 
so that as he is with them, they become the holy of holies. Isn't that what he said in Ephesians? I'm making you into a temple of God by the Spirit. Is that not part of the imagery of the, the jewels that are listed here? Because not only do the jewels show God fulfilling his promise, they show us the credentials we have to enter in and to be the holy of holies. There's another list of jewels found in the Bible. It's listed in the Old Testament in Exodus. And it's a list of the jewels that the high priest would wear on his breastplate when he would enter into the Holy of Holies. And the list of jewels in Exodus for the breastplate of the priest, high priest matches almost identically the descriptions of the jewels here. He is saying, you have the credentials to enter in and to be the Holy of Holies of God. And you receive those by His grace. Church, this is what we're longing for. Heaven is not about the things that we often describe it. See, the picture of the gold is simply to say, this is the fullness of God's presence. You read the description of the temple in the Old Testament. The temple was overlaid with gold. It was wood overlaid with gold. Here it is solid gold. It's saying God is with his people. And that's what makes it heaven. You see, and that is part of the glory. The glory of the church is based on the glory of God and the glory of the gospel. Verses 23 through 27 say something very interesting. The glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb. By its light the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut. Now, this is a presentation of the gospel. This is how. We've already read in Revelation 19 where the kings and the nations that rebelled against God were destroyed and cast into hell. When he says here that the nations and the kings can bring their glory into it, it is the extension of saying it is not too late. There will be those kings that will believe. There will be the nations that will believe. You see, Revelation in the concluding part of it draws a picture of two cities. The city of Babylon, that is the city of man, and the city of the new Jerusalem, that is the city of God. And he lays out, he lays out the future of those cities. The city of Babylon, the city of man, will be destroyed. The city of God, the new Jerusalem, will last into eternity. And he's saying the only way that we can enter in and be a part of the city of God, the new Jerusalem, look to verse 27, is by our names being written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing unclean will enter it. Nothing. We are told in Revelation that the names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the creation of the world. So how can we know if our name's written in the Lamb's book of life? You can know by this. Those who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and show their faith in Jesus by repenting of their sins are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, it's not good works. It's not being kind. That will not save us. But it is being part of the elect. How do we know we're part of the elect? Have we professed faith in Jesus Christ? This book is written to say, turn to him before it's too late. Turn to him while there's a chance. 
If you want to be a part of this glory, there's only one way, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me.